it's a world we live in. I was thinking, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of darkness. We're talking about today Jesus being the light of the world. And it's easy to get overwhelmed by the darkness. Thinking tomorrow, you know, we celebrate, or I, I guess we, I should say it's a somber note as we remember September 11th, 16 years ago, which is hard to believe that it was that long ago now. We look at what's been happening with Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Harvey, um, and just it's easy to get overwhelmed uh, by the darkness. But what we're going to talk about today is the one who came to bring a light into the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. And one of the things that we celebrate tomorrow, we, we've come a year, we've, if those of us who've been journeying through this story together, we've been reading through the story, his word is a light unto our feet, and we've been reading the story along with the sermon series, and those of us who've been on schedule, uh, tomorrow would be September 11th, that marks the, that should be the last day of reading, uh, if you've been in the material, if you're behind, that's okay, Jesus still loves you, uh, and go ahead and, and catch up on that, but it's been such a privilege and a cool opportunity to read, knowing like, man, what I'm reading today in the, in the, in the Bible is the same thing that Alan's reading today, and Jacob's reading today, and Ron is reading today, and to be able to talk about that, share in that uh, life together, reading through his word, his hope and his truth, a light in a dark world, it's, it's been incredible. If you haven't been with us, we've been walking through um, the story of the Bible. Just been looking at the different stories, how they fit together to tell one story about Jesus, the light of the world. Today we're going to be talking about that Jesus, um, but to remember where we are, we've got to do our thing. There there we go. There's our thing. All right, so with me, if you can remember, this is our motions. These have helped us remember the major story plot lines. All right, so from the top, we've got God, creation, fall, promise, flood, Tower, Patriarchs, Exodus, Law, Conquest, Judges, Kingdom, Divided, Exile, Return, Silence, and Jesus. All right, my puppet's very good. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these seven statements about himself. Each of them start with, I am. And it's this beautiful thing that Jesus does where he's showing a lot of things in these statements. He's showing in each one of them how he's fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy about himself. He's showing how he himself is God, how he is the promised deliverer as we walked through the story that the the Old Testament prophets kept pointing forward to this one, this hope, this light that's coming, how he's fulfilled that. And what I love about these statements is Jesus is going to show us how he is the answer to every question we have in life. There are many questions. There is one answer to life's problems, life challenges, and it is Jesus. And he's going to show us how he is the satisfaction to every need that we have. And as we walk through this story, we're going to see this. He says, I'm the bread of life. If you're hungry, if you're not fulfilled, he says, I'm the one. I'm the bread. I'm your nourishment. If, if you say, I mean, I'm lost, I'm looking for answers, and I don't know the way, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. And you just keep walking through those. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And this morning, we'd be here until Tuesday if we walked through every single one of these. So what we're going to do is we're just going to zoom in on uh, one in particular, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And two weeks from now, we'll be looking at the story of Lazarus, so we'll be able to turn back around and talk about the resurrection and the life. But but man, what I'd encourage you is to, to go back to these seven and on your own, press in deeper to what Jesus is saying and what that meant and to really see and savor who our Jesus is. When we talk about him being the light of the world, and, and the, the passage here is in John chapter 8, I have the verses on the screen, but you're welcome to 
follow along in your, in your own Bible. Um, and here's this exchange Jesus is going to have with the Pharisees. And as we know, whenever Jesus is going to talk with the Pharisees, sparks are going to fly. All right, so here we go. He says, he speaks to the people once more and says, I am, there it is, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Why? Because you will have the light that leads to life. Now the Pharisees, they hear this, and, and this is what they have to say to him. They replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not true. So they look at Jesus and they go, humble brag, right? Like you're, 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 you're claiming this thing about yourself. And not only that, they say your claims are not valid, which is a, like in the modern version, we would be saying, Jesus, you're a dirty liar. That, that's what they're saying. And you think about someone in the crowd going, oh no, he did not just say that to Jesus, right? I mean, they just, you are a lot, you're claiming this about yourself and you're a liar. To which Jesus comes back, he's no wilting flower. He says, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. So Jesus looks back at him and he goes, you don't know me. You don't know where I've been from. You don't know where I'm going, Right? Didn't know Jesus was that sassy, did you? And he says, man, you don't, you, don't know any, you don't know anything about me. He says, you judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. If I did, my judgment would be correct, for the record, in every respect, because I'm not alone. And he, he says this, the Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. So he says, okay. You want to play that game. You you say, I'm making this claim about myself. You and your own law, the Pharisaical law. He says, you say if there's two witnesses, then it's valid. Well, I've got two witnesses. I've got myself, and I've got this other witness, God. Creator Almighty himself is my other witness. You don't know. In your human little peon world, you have no idea who I am, where I come from, where I'm going. I have a witness, and his name is Jehovah. And Jesus looks at him. And he's essentially told them that this is way above your pay grade. You have no idea what we're talking about here. Go and read the Old Testament, you fools. Scroll drop, right? He just says, you, and he just, they have, there's no rebuttal here, right? I mean, he just, you, you want to tangle with Jesus, right? You're going to get messed up. And so Jesus, he tells them, and the reason the Pharisees so, get so riled up here, the reason their, their robes get all bunched up, so to speak, is because they realize the claim that Jesus is making here when he says he's the light of the world. They, they get exactly what he is trying to communicate. He is blatantly claiming here that he is the eternal God, that he is the promised deliverer, King, Messiah himself. In fact, in John chapter 8, the next story, he has this discussion with them, and he says, even before Abraham was, that's their boy, that's the father of Israel. He goes, even before Abraham was, I am. Now, he didn't get his grammar mixed up. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He says, I am. And that's a claim that he's always existed and he always will exist. The word I am, the name I am for God, that was the most sacred name that the Jewish people had for God. It was this word Yahweh. In fact, they wouldn't even speak the name or write the name because it was so sacred. And here Jesus is claiming, I am. I am Yahweh. I am the light of the world. And so what I want us to do is here is unpack what Jesus is saying in the context of our story, what it means to be the light of the world. Because to them, this was blasphemy. He was claiming to be God, and they'll eventually crucify him because of it. 
So let's look at our story here. We, we go back to page one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two, second verse of our story. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the waters, the deep waters. Now, we often think of like ex nihilo, God creating something out of nothing. But what we see here in verse two is before everything is like that we see it, it says the, the world was formless and empty. There was just this watery kind of chaos. And the, the Hebrew expression for this is tovu vavohu. Now that's fun to say. Say it with me. Tovu vavohu. One more time. Tovu vavohu. All right? So this, this expression, it's a Hebrew expression, and it means darkness and disorder. So he says, out in creation is just this watery, dark mess, this tovu vavohu, chaos. And what he says Jesus does, and this is, this is incredible, there was an earth here, but there was no order, there was no purpose, there was no beauty, there was, just, there was no meaning, it's chaos. Until God speaks. And by his word, he takes what is formless, and he forms it. He takes what is disorderly, and he gives it order. He, he, he takes what is useless, and he gives it purpose. He takes what is an ugly blob and he makes something beautiful out of it. This is our God. And and how does he do this? This is amazing. He says four simple words. Let there be light. And in one sentence, the lights come on and all of creation is as he wants it to be. And it's so cool. Our God is so cool. It's like he's just turning the light switch on. And, and, and through this creation of light, he begins to bring order and form to a disorderly and formless world. And then he does the same thing with man. We, we saw last week, he takes this dust in the, in the earth, just this formless dust just laying there. And he takes out of it and he shapes it into the form of a man. Then we said he breathes his life, his ruach, his, the spirit of God is breathed into this dust. And he takes this formless dust and he creates this beautiful, bearing his image, man. And woman. But then what do the people do? No, no sooner has he formed what is formless, they turn their backs on the light giver. And in Romans 1, it, it speaks to this. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity, they walk away from him in their sin. And this is what it says. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Sin enters into the world, and that world, that light that God has spoken, darkness comes in, and chaos begins to, to spread. So what does he do? What does God do about this? Well, we've been seeing in the story that he takes this one nation out of all the other nations called Israel, and he calls them to be a light. He says, you are going to be my light to the nations. Look at Isaiah chapter 60. All nations will come to your light Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. So he says, Israel, you will shine this light that the rest of the nations will take note of. Now, what does that mean? How did that work? Well, do you remember God gave them these 613 commands? He says, this is how you're going to live. And if you abide by these rules, you are going to be set apart. That's what holy means. You'll be set apart from the other nations. In other words, the rest of the nations will look at you and go, oh, that's how God intended us to live. That's how he's called us to worship him. That's how he's called us to love each other, our neighbor as ourself. And this law unpacks the way that they are supposed to live. That's why David said the words. He said, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. 
He said, God's word, his commandments, they're the way of life. They show me in a dark world how I'm supposed to walk, how I'm supposed to live. But we know the story, right? Does Israel keep the law? Do they let that little light shine? No, right? Epic fail. Is that, do the kids still say epic fail? I have no idea. I'm 33. I'm, I'm so out of touch. They, they, they do not, which doesn't throw God off for the record. Because God's main purpose, he knew Israel wasn't going to keep this law. He has a plan. And that's why the light that was going to shine was not the ability of Israel to keep the law, but there was one who would come from the line of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and David who would be that light. And Isaiah, he prophesied about this in chapter 9. He said, the people who walk in darkness, these people who do not live according to my law, this is chaos, this is disorder. He says, those who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. He says, there is one coming who will keep the law, who will shine their light in a manner that Israel completely failed to do. And you remember that story we read about Jesus? It's just a little baby, and he's being held in the arms of Simeon. And this is an amazing prophecy. As he's holding this little baby, he goes, he, this little one, this little infant, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. And I love this picture, because here's Jesus, and there's this light shining from him. And you see this map superimposed in the background. He says there's this dark world that's disorderly and sinful and rebellious and chaotic. And this little baby is going to be this light that comes shining, comes bursting into this dark world and is going to change it forever. And you remember how he said, David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Well, John takes all of this imagery and in the opening of his gospel, he sort of sums it up in this insanely profound way. Look at this. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now we know this word is Jesus. So you can just put Jesus in there for word. In the beginning, the G- Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He's the Word. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So who was the one that was actually speaking light, who was creating the, the world through his light, through the, his Word speaking light? It's Jesus. Jesus was the creator at the beginning. And then it says, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And then in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Amen. Jesus is the word, and, and as the word, as the light, he brought form and meaning to physical creation. And in the same way, he's come, he came back as a baby to bring light and to give life and form and purpose and meaning in a dark, chaotic, sinful world. And so no wonder the Pharisees were so peeved, Right? They get exactly what Jesus is claiming. He says he's the light of the world. He's claiming to be the creator of all things. He's claiming to be the promised Messiah, king, deliverer that all the prophets had talked about. He's claiming to be the one who will bring order to all chaos. He's claiming to be God himself. And what I want us to do this morning is to see and to savor. I love John Piper says it that way. To see and to savor three things about Jesus being the light that will change our lives in a way that nobody but Jesus can. First one is he's the present former. This is just a nerdy play on on time words for me. Uh, It's just a way to say Jesus is forming us now. Okay. Uh, When you and I were born, how do we come into this world? Okay. We came into this world because of sin. We came in like Genesis 1-2, like the waters that were formless and chaotic. 
We came into this world sinful, not living in the order that God had created us to live. And that's why we see in this world everything is chaos, that we have messed up relationships, that we are not interacting with our family like we should, our friends that we should, we're not interacting with God like we should. Sin has come in and brought disorder to God's original design. But when we step into the light, when we we step into the light of the world, this change starts to happen. And there's this beautiful way that Paul ties it together in 2 Corinthians. He says, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. Why? So we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Our purpose as man is to give glory to God. And he says, until that light's turned on, until we can see him as he really is through the light of Jesus, and we can't know him. And then the chapter before, he said, this is what happens. As the light's turned on and I can see God through the light of Jesus, I'm going to begin to start to be changed and become like him. This is a process. If you've grown up in church, you've heard the word sanctification. It means, cha- it means to set apart, to make holy. And God's in this amazing process of changing us to become more and more like Jesus. But if you're like me, there's times when you look at this whole being made like Jesus thing, and you go, God, this seems like a very slow process. This does not seem like I see any difference in my life. Sometimes we go for years at a time and go, are you being faithful to this promise? You said you'd finish what you started. But let me encourage you by comparing it to, to physical birth, okay? I showed this picture last week. This is a baby Frankino, okay? Possibly this is the first picture ever taken of me? Hopefully, I don't know. Anyway, so when you were born, okay, when you're born into this world physically, what state did you come into the world? Okay, did you come out of your mom like doing push-ups, right, and doing burpees or whatever? Was that the CrossFit thing, right? You do. I guess you're doing one kind of burpee, but not the not the CrossFit one. But you didn't come out of the womb filling out tax forms and, and ready to drive your car, right? You came out as a blob. And I say this in all the love of Jesus. You were a disgusting, gooey, bloody blob that could cry and poop and do this. Okay? Like that, that's the extent of your skill, right? Coming to this world, really not contributing much to society. But over time, over time, you begin to be formed physically. And you're able to hold that head up. And you're able to say, Dada. And you're able to crawl. And then you're able to walk. And then you're able to run, right? Well, some of us never get to the run phase, right? I just waddle. Um, speed waddle. But, but God, he's he, he slowly, over the course of years, forming us physically. And in the same way, he is, his promise is that as we behold Jesus, he's going to make us more and more like him. But just like physically, this is going to take some time. This does not happen overnight. And slowly but surely, we're going to start noticing growth in each other. Oh, did you see that? That was so cute. He tried to love his neighbor as himself, right? And then he fell down, right? And we look, oh, his patience is getting so big, right? And we, just gotta, and we just slowly see these baby Christians start to, by the grace of God, be formed into the likeness of Jesus. So how does this happen? We behold his light. Well, let's look at number two. He's the present former. He's also the dark buster. This, here's this wonderful but scary thing about God being light. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Now, in some ways, this is an amazing truth, because I I prefer light over dark. There's something terrifying about this reality. One of the the properties of light is when you step into the light, it shows, it exposes everything that steps into the light. 
Now here's a fun, fun game to play, especially if somebody's feeling spiritually cocky, okay? One of the things that God forms in us is this humility. He's getting rid of our pride. And someone who, who walks around thinking, you know, people should just see how I am and, and copy that, right? Take some notes, y'all. I got this thing on lock. And for someone who's in that position, I've been there. I've been spiritually arrogant. Here's, here's a game um, that I think I would ask, would you still be confident? Would you still be swaggerific? If I took every one of your thoughts from this past week, every thought you've had, just, just in this one week's period, okay? And after the service, we had a special showing of every single one of your thoughts. We put it right up here on this screen. All, all, all of your thoughts, all of your lusts, the way you've thought about other people, your doubts, your fears. Took all of those thoughts and I put them up on the screen. Would you stick around for that showing? <laughs> I wouldn't. And if you did, I guarantee you, your swagger would start to fade. See, the reality is, I can keep secrets from you. I I do that all the time. I'm really good at that. But in God's light, there is nothing that's hidden. God knows every single thing that we've done, which for us can be a terrifying, terrifying thing. Matt, Matt Chandler said it this way. He said, secrets are the darkness in which death and destruction grows. Secrets are the darkness in which death and destruction grows. Because here's the lie that we can believe as as believers. I've been been a Christian for, I mean, I think about my own life. It's been, I mean, gosh, it's been over 20 years. It's been 30 years. I shouldn't be still struggling with this sin. I should be past this. I should be grown past this by now. And so what happens is we say, I shouldn't be struggling with this. So what we do is we we hide it. Hide it under a bushel, yes. (laughs) Yes, please. And we hide our sin from others. Okay, so real life. You're a housewife. You're addicted to prescription pain pills. And you feel guilty about it. You are ashamed of what you're doing. But you feel trapped. And you feel that you are completely out of control. And you keep swearing to yourself you're not going to do it. But, but, but you keep falling right back into the same patterns. And you tell yourself, I, well, I can't tell anybody about this, right? What would my husband think? What would my small group think? What would the, the Zumba gals think? I don't, I don't know, whatever you... They, they know I'm a Christian, right? That's too risky. And so you retreat into the shadows. And instead of stepping into the light of confession, you hide. And in the secrecy, death and destruction set its hooks in. Or maybe, maybe, maybe there's a girl you're flirting with at work. Maybe there's this ex-lover that you ran across on Facebook. And man, you look at that person and all you remember is all the good times, the sweet times. And you, you don't remember all the cheating, lying, heartbreaking times. And you look at them and you over-romanticize the past. Or maybe you're looking at this person in the office and you're over-idealizing the future. And what happens is the gladness of your heart starts to be redirected from your spouse to this other person. This other made-up person, by the way. It's a projection of who you want them to be. It's not the reality of who they are. And you know it's wrong. But instead of taking the off-ramp, instead of taking the exit toward confession, you retreat and you go, man, if I confess this, I I I could mess up or even lose my marriage, my kids, my job. Get a scarlet letter branded on my chest. And the hooks of death and destruction start to set in. 
And if this is you, and if you're caught in a secret sin cycle, and you don't want to know anybody, you want anyone to know about it, we're just, we're living out what Jesus, last week when he talked to Nicodemus, at the end of it, we didn't get time to go to it, but he says here in, in John 3, he says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than light. Who's choosing darkness over light? We do. Why? He tells us. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? For fear their sins will be exposed. And I don't want to be exposed. So I hide in the darkness. King David, he went through the same kind of a thing. If anybody knows about secrecy, it's the guy that committed adultery and then killed the guy of the woman he had slept with, her husband. He knows about secrets. And this is what King David said. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now, if you're like me, I'm signing up for most of that, right? Like, I want my record to be cleared. I want my sin forgiven. I want that guilt gone. But look at what he puts at the end there. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. If we want to get to that place, there's going to have to be an honesty, a stepping into the light. Now, see, he went the other direction with this. Okay, He's played this game. Look at what he says in verse 3. When I refused to confess my sin... My body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength like water. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David says, I went down that path. I lived that double life. I wore the mask. I pretended to be something I was not. I was hiding. I was lying. And it was hell on earth. Then he says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And when he stepped into the light of confession, this is what he found. And you forgave me. And my guilt was gone. So we have options. We have options. The first option here is we can continue down the highway of secrecy and destruction. We can continue to hide our sins for fear of what will happen if we come out. But but here's where that always ends. Romans 1, he says, God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful things their hearts desired. He said, if you're going to choose what what you think is going to satisfy, what you keep going down that road instead of, if you think that's better than what I have for you, then I'm going to give you over to that. But I promise you, at the end of that road, there's nothing but death and destruction. That's the first option. I don't recommend it. Second one is to take the off-ramp of confession. We're, we're going down this highway. I don't care how far we've gone down. There's always an, there's an exit. This side of death, there's an exit. It says take the off-ramp of, of confession. Now, now, listen. Will this be costly? Yes. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. Will it be embarrassing and painful? Probably. But, but what John says in 1 John, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, okay, we, we walk where Jesus is. We step into that light. He exposes us for who we really are. And, and, and an analogy he uses is walk in the light. And the other way to look at this is to say, if we confess our sins, stepping into that light is confessing who we really are. It's a repentance. 
says, if we confess our sins, if we step into the light, what's going to happen? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we want to be clean, if we want to be forgiven, it's not going to be by hiding in the darkness. It's stepping into the light. And it says he's faithful. He will always forgive, and he's just to forgive. Why is he just to forgive what is exposed in the light? Because Jesus paid for it. Because Jesus, he already, man, he's already exposed us through the cross. And he's seen everything we've ever done, and he died for it. And so now we can freely step into the light, knowing that as we confess who we really are, we will find what David found. We will find forgiveness, and we will find joy. That's the only path to joy and forgiveness, is to be real about who we really are. And that's the only place we're going to find true fellowship with God and true fellowship with other people. Because otherwise, people are loving a fabricated version of you at best. And the third option here is that sometimes God's mercy outs us. There are times when we just get busted, okay, just like this little girl, right? You get your hand caught in the cookie jar. Anybody here ever been busted, caught in a secret sin? Go ahead and raise your hand. I I want to see everybody else. I want them to see you're not alone. You've been caught in a sin, right? I've been there. That's happened to me. And let me tell you this this morning. That is a mercy. It's a mercy from God because he goes, here, now everybody knows there's nowhere to hide and now you have the choice. You can own it and come to me to the fountain of forgiveness or you can retreat back into the shadows. Jesus is the dark buster. As we step into the light, we find forgiveness and joy. The last one, he's the void filler. He's the void filler. See, when Jesus spoke into this formless void earth, What was the state of that earth in Genesis 1-2? There was no life. There was nothing. It was just chaos and emptiness. It says it was void. It means it had nothing. And when Jesus, like that formless void earth, before Christ, our lives were empty. They were meaningless. They had no purpose. We had no life. Another one of the I am's in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And I love his promise there in John 10-10. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You want to find satisfaction. He says, it's only going to be found in the life that I offer. Now we say, I want that life. Maybe your translation more typically says an abundant life. We all would love an abundant life. That sounds good. How do we get that? He says in the next verse, I am the good shepherd. You want that satisfying life? Here it is. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus laid his life down for us to be forgiven, and not only forgiven, but we've now been given the shepherd's life in us. You want satisfaction? You want abundant life? It's Jesus. Remember last week he said, you got to be born again. you got to have a new life. And God breathes Jesus' ruach. He breathes his, breathes his spirit, his life into us, and that is the satisfying life that we've been offered, the best life that there is. Now listen, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy certain things here on earth. Like, a non-believer can still enjoy a steak, amen? Like, who said that? A non-believer. Where are they? No, I'm joking. <laughs> you can, a non-believer can enjoy a steak. They can enjoy a sunset. They can still recognize that's a pretty sunset. They can still enjoy sex. A non-believer isn't sitting there with a bowl of ice cream like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't see these Christians all love ice cream, and it's just bland nothingness to me. No, a non-believer can enjoy those things... But I would argue you will never experience even close to the fullness of life and joy that has been intended for us without Jesus. 
And here's why. There is this low ceiling. If all we're able to do is see these gifts here on earth and sort of enjoy them. Because the reality is we were created for a joy, a satisfaction that can only be found in the giver of those gifts. And until we see these beautiful, wonderful things God has given us here on earth and see that they point to him, we will never experience the kind of life that Jesus came to give us. So imagine if you have a spouse, and they give you these Christmas presents, right? And year after year, you get all these gifts, and you keep showing everybody, dude, look at all these gifts my spouse has given me. Look at this foot massager. It's incredible. And they go, where is your spouse? I don't know. I never met him, right? I have no idea who they are, but they have given me awesome gifts. And we've taken the gifts, and, and we've never even known the person. That's where the true joy and the lover of your soul is going to be found, in them, not in the things they've given you. And until we see the God who's given us good gifts, we'll never experience real meaning, joy, and satisfaction. The NFL season starts this weekend. Probably why some of our dads aren't here. Uh, Sorry, that was my scolding. Uh, I remember this interview a few years back, Tom Brady, uh, he gave. He's the Super Bowl uh, winning quarterback of the New England Patriots. And at this point in the interview, he'd only won three Super Bowls. At this point, he's now won five, okay? And he says this. He goes, why do I have five, well, now five Super Bowl rings and still think there is, no, there is something greater out there for me? He says, I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, and then he says this. He says, God, it's got to be more than this. I don't know if he's actually talking to God or taking his name in vain. Either way, I think it's fitting here. He says, God, it's got to be more than this. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Now, can we all say this? I am not Tom Brady. Say this with me. I am not Tom Brady. Amen. You aren't, I am not. Now, let's talk about Tom for a minute. There are 7 billion people on the planet. Out of those 7 billion, 30 are currently starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That's a very small percentage. And out of those 30 quarterbacks today, and then you take all the quarterbacks of all time, there's a handful, maybe five or six, that you could argue were the greatest quarterback in their profession, right? And a quarterback, one of the most demanding jobs in all of sports, mind and body, not many, have become a quarterback, and not many have ascended to the greatness that Tom Brady, I would argue, I don't want to cause a church split or anything, I think Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback I've ever played. There, deal with it, right? I got the mic and you don't. So here, here's Tom Brady, okay? I mean, if anybody's reached the pinnacle, it's, it's Tom Brady. And listen to me. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer this morning, but Tom Brady is better than you, okay? He is wealthier than you. He, he is better looking. I mean, look at, he is a gorgeous hunk, right? <laughs> Tom Brady is more famous than you. He has a statue of himself built outside of Gillette Stadium one day, for sure. I will never, no matter how awesome my sermons are, have a statue of myself outside of Peninsula Grace, right? And just kind of in mid-sermon mode, right? And just kind of... Got to capture the Italian hands. Um, Tom has it all. Five Super Bowl rings. Supermodel wife. He's worshipped at a church stadium of 80,000 people every weekend. There's anybody who's achieved everything you could hope to achieve, it's Tom. And he looks around and he goes, this can't be it, is it? Is this all that there is? 
And what Tom is discovering is what Solomon found. We talked about that. You get to the end of it all and you find it meaningless. And this is why. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, God has planted eternity in the human heart. There is an eternal void in the heart of Tom Brady that Super Bowl rings and money and fame will never, ever, ever fill. And God says, there's a void in your life that you're lacking purpose and meaning and fulfillment and you can chase all these dead ends. But without me, they all go to the same place, death and destruction. And Jesus spoke light into this world. And he says, let me fill your void. Let me bust through the darkness and expose you for everything that you are, but find you forgiven and loved in what I accomplished for you on the cross. And let me form you into something beautiful to give your life purpose and meaning and beauty that you will never discover without me. That's our Jesus. That's the light of the world. And the reality is, man, each of us, we've been given this light. We've got this light inside of us. What are we saying as a little kid? Hide it under a bushel. Thank you. Preach, right? No, he says, don't hide it. Imagine if you're in Salatna or Kenai and, and, and the power goes out, middle of winter, okay, and it's nighttime and no one else has a light source and you've got this lantern and you're like, sweet, I got a lantern. Would you hoard that yourself in your house so you have light while everybody else is groping around in the darkness? No, you jerk. Go share your light, right? Like, go carry your light into the darkness. And much more eternally staked than physical darkness, we are living in a world where men and women are walking around in spiritual blindness. They don't know Jesus. They're groping through, trying to find and fill meaning and void into their, into their life. We've got a job to do. The most pressing job we have to do is to carry this light into a dark world. As Jesus shines through us, that people would know him. It's the only meaning and purpose that there is. So I wanted, as the, as the band comes up, I wanted to finish with that song. A little cheesy, but this is the truth. We're going to sing this little light of mine, all right? So everybody hold up your light. There you go. And we sing this, we declare this, we say to Jesus, you are the light in my life, and I'm going to share this light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.